Hello, and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime. With Kaylin and Elena. Because I realized the last two episodes, <laughs> we haven't really introduced ourselves. That's all so. right. Here you go. So this week, we are going to the lovely state of South Carolina. I am back on track for doing my historical murder, but I'm not talking about just one murder. And my focus, even though I didn't always want to do this, um, is going to be on the murderer. So okay, yes. And there's a ghost involved here. Ooh, yeah. I like ghosts. It's, it's super cool. So I'm going to be talking today about a woman, and you actually found this and recommended it to me, a woman named Lavinia Fisher. Yes. I didn't read about it, though. Okay, good. I saw her what she's most known for, and I stopped. I was like, you need this <laughs> in your life. And I did. So, But it turned out to be not at all what I expected. Great. So Lavinia Fisher, for those of you who are history buffs, and if you've ever been to the lovely city of Charleston, South Carolina, and taking a tour, this is a very popular tour guide sort of thing as well, um, is sometimes called America's first female serial killer. However, <laughs> there might be something fishy about Lavinia Fisher's story, so we'll get to that. For a historical case, it was hard to find a lot of hard facts for this. So first of all, all we know about Lavinia herself is that she was born in 1793. That's it? That's it. Okay. Uh, we don't know where she was born. I couldn't find a birthplace. We don't know what her maiden name was. Okay. There was no info about her childhood, which that part didn't surprise me quite as much. We do know that by 1819, she has been married for however long to a man named John Fisher. They live near Charleston, South Carolina, and they own and operate a hotel that's called the Six Mile Wayfarer House. Okay. And it's very aptly named for, because at the time it was about six miles outside of Charleston proper. So this house seems to have been a fairly popular destination and here's where it seemed very strange to me because apparently Lavinia was described as being beautiful and charming and she and her husband seemed to have been fairly popular with the local townspeople. Despite this there were many rumors because there were a lot of men visiting Charleston who were going missing. And apparently there were various missing person reports and all of this. And so very quickly, suspicion falls on John and Lavinia. And this is also what I found from the get-go that made me a little bit suspicious about her case is I couldn't find any names of victims. I couldn't find a definite number of victims. I couldn't even find information about exactly how these people were murdered. So one story went that Lavinia would give guests poisoned tea. Most often it was mentioned that she used oleander and she would put that in their tea. And then the men would feel sick, they'd go up to their rooms, and then John would go up later and stab them just to make sure that they were dead. 
That was one version. The other most common version was that she didn't poison the tea necessarily, but she would put something in it to make them groggy, knock them out. They would go upstairs into their beds, and then she and John had somehow rigged the floor that they could push a lever, the floor would open up, and the bed would fall down into a pit below the house. Very Sweeney Todd-like. Yes. Yes, okay. and and sometimes it was described that there were spikes down below in the basement just to make sure that when they fell. I could see someone maybe conjuring up something like that now, but in the 1800s, probably not. It sounds like a 19th century novel, yeah. a horror novel to me. And so right away, I was kind of like, okay, this just sounds a little bit crazy to me. Yes. So, like I said, there's rumors of all these disappearances, the local authorities investigate, and supposedly because the fishers are so popular, um, the investigation is dropped. So the local, I don't know who else, so a lot of other people continue with this rumor mill that they're killing people in their Wayfarer house. And another group of locals formed a vigilante group. And they go up to Six Mile House in February of 1819. The claim is that they find enough evidence when they burst into the guest house to convince them that all of these horrific rumors were true. I don't know exactly what happens, but the Fishers and like 10 or 12 people that are their friends. And there's another man who is also a half owner of the Wayfarer house with her husband, John. They like, I don't know if they just like run away because of the vigilante group or they somehow are just gone out of the story. And like I said, this is why this is just a weird story to me. And I end up really liking Lavinia anyway. But um, so, and then this vigilante group, after driving them off, supposedly finding enough evidence that nefarious going-ons have been happening, leave one guy left behind to watch the property, which also makes no sense whatsoever. So you, these people are convinced that this couple is murdering people, people, and they're going to leave a single man. Right, to guard the property while the rest of them go back to Charleston. I'm... Assuming Whoa. to get the law enforcement or whatever, because they're vigilantes. So, what is what is he guarding the property for? Is he scared they're gonna like leave well, or so <laughs> to like ward off people? Like, don't come in here; they'll kill you. Like, <laughs> what is this single person so they leave, supposed to do? I don't know. So they leave this poor guy. His name is David Ross. So we do have a name for him. Um, he's just supposed to stand watch. So the next morning, he's attacked. He's dragged before this group of men and Lavinia. So there's John Fisher, Lavinia Fisher, and then, you know, their cohorts, whoever these other people are. And, of course, you know, David Ross, he looks to Lavinia. She's, she's in her mid-20s at this time. She's beautiful. Like, you know, she's a lovely woman. She'll help me. No. According to David Ross, she chokes him. She smashes his head through a window and yet, he still has the wherewithal to escape and run back to Charleston and alert the authorities. Wouldn't they just kill him? I, 
So I don't know how you get choked and your head bashed through a window and you still can run six miles back to Charleston to get help. So, and why would they let him run back to Charleston? Crazy story. So his testimony is very important in what happens later. Around the same time, there's another guy named John Peoples who was traveling from Georgia to Charleston. He claims that he stopped at the Six Mile Wayfarer house. The lovely Lafinia greeted him, invited him in, and then says, I'm sorry we don't have a room for you, but would you like some tea and a meal? And John Peoples accepts her invitation. He later claims that during his talk with Lavinia, her husband kept looking oddly at him. Lavinia excuses herself and then returns with tea and claims that a room has just opened up if he would like to have it. John says, of course, he'd like to have the room, but he doesn't like tea. He doesn't want to appear rude and tell her, no, I don't want it or take it back. So he waits for an opportune moment when she's not looking and pours it out. Which again, seems incredibly weird to me since tea was the most common non-alcoholic drink in this time period. I can't imagine why he would have said, yes, yeah, sure, I'll come in and have tea and a meal, but I don't like tea, I'll pour it out later. So like I said, very, very strange There's circumstances. so many questions. Yes. So he and Lavinia talk for several hours. He later says that she was asking him all kinds of questions and, you know, trying to get all kinds of details from him. But despite all of that, he goes up to his room. When he gets to his room, he starts replaying parts of their conversation in his brain and starts to feel like maybe he's divulged too much about himself. So he decides that he won't sleep in the bed. He's going to sleep in a chair by the door because he's worried that something bad might happen. This is bonkers. <laughs> I have so many questions of what... If this was a movie script, it could not get made because it has so many holes in it and there's yes. just nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. So... Of course, later that night, he's awakened by a loud noise. He claims that he looks, and lo and behold, his bed has disappeared into a deep hole beneath the floor. So he jumps out the window, gets on his horse, and fl flees to Charleston to ask for help. And so these two events, and I believe, I'm not sure exactly, like, how the John Peoples and the vigilante groups work together. I don't know if maybe John, when John Peoples escaped, he then brought the vigilantes or that that's what encouraged them. But at any rate, it turns out that John and Lavinia, and I believe there were 10 other people, were arrested. Although only John and Lavinia and the other guy who was the half owner of yes. the Six Mile Wayfarer house end up being detained in any way. So the story goes, and if you take one of these tours in Charleston, you will be told that Six Mile Wayfarer house was searched, the grounds were dug up, that it was riddled with hidden passages, that the sheriff finds items that are traced to 
dozens of travelers that they find tea that's laced with this herb of some sort, that there's a device to open the floorboards, and that down in the basement they find the sets of maybe, the, the remains of maybe as many as a hundred people. So, <laughs> I told you, this is one of those stories where you're like, okay, I'm going to read about this really cool first woman serial murderer. And then you're like, these people are just all cuckoo for Cocoa Pot. Like, how is this even a story? So, I mean, it's crazy. So, the Fishers are put on trial. Of course, they plead not guilty. Um, they're held in jail. They're not allowed bail or anything like that. Although all of their co-conspirators, um, are allowed to bail out. And I don't even know what happened to any of them except the other guy who was a part owner in, in, in their hotel. Um, but despite this in May of 1819, they are found guilty of multiple murders and robberies. And yet they're given time to appeal their conviction. So for the next several months, they're here in the Charleston jail. They're together in the cell. Apparently, there's not, they're not very closely guarded. Things are kind of lackadaisical. So they are planning an escape. And so on the 13th of September, now this part is true. Like there's no, this part is pretty strongly historically validated. So um, they had created a rope just like in the best of cartoons, by tying a bunch of sheets together. John goes down the rope first. It breaks, leaving Lavinia behind in the cell. But he's a really good husband. So he doesn't want to leave poor Lavinia behind with just part of a sheet rope. He returns to the jail. And after that, security is tightened and they are watched much more carefully. I mean, props to him for coming back. <laughs> I know. I was like, <laughs> if nothing else, Lavinia married a guy that seems to have really loved her. Yeah. So he didn't just hide out of there. So there's that. Um, they, of course, you know, the, the mode of execution at the time was hanging. So in February of 1820, uh, or sorry, they were, they were sentenced to hang. I apologize for that. And on the 18th of February, they are taken to the gallows behind Charleston Jail. And, you know, back then, of course, these things were permanent structures mm -hmm. much of the time because public, public executions were a, a fairly common thing. 2,000 people gathered to watch their execution. So this was a fairly large crowd. John, I guess, is taken first. They don't believe in that whole lady's first thing. <laughs> um, they said that he goes very quietly. He walks with a minister, that, and he's praying the whole way. Um, he had asked the minister to read a letter on his behalf that he had written. And so the minister does this. The letter maintains that he and Lavinia are innocent, that they did not murder anybody. He asks for mercy for the people who had wrongly um, convicted them of this crime. And then he himself asks forgiveness of the crowd before he is hanged. So, you know, I, this says a lot about John. You know, John's not just the kind of person that goes back to, to rescue his wife and doesn't 
escape on his own. But I think this tells us a lot that he he seems to me to have been a very sincere, probably quite religious person. Yes. So Lavinia, however, is my girl. <laughs> so this is where and I'm I'm hoping this is the only time that I ever like somebody <laughs> because who's accused of murder because I'm pretty convinced she's innocent. So Lavinia is just done with people and she is very defiant up to the end. She insists on wearing her wedding dress, which I love. You go, girl. Um, she refuses to walk to the gallows. She's like, if you want to hang me, I ain't walking. Carry me. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes. They have to lift her bodily and carry her to the gallows in her wedding dress. Like I said, I love Lavinia. And, and at this time, she's 26, 27. We're, we're not, we don't know the actual date of her birth. So we do know it was 1793, but we don't know the date. So um, the whole time she's ranting, she's raving, she's yelling at people. She's accusing the socialites of um, Charleston society of encouraging the conviction, which that's kind of a key. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The best thing that I love about her is at the end she yells, if you have a message you want me to send to hell, give it to me. I'll carry it. And then she jumps off the gallows herself. She does not give them the satisfaction of being the ones to execute her. She jumps off the gallows and so ends her life. I mean, there's <laughs> it, it's hard because to me there's not enough fact yeah. For me to be like, she is innocent or like they're guilty, they're innocent. I don't have enough fact, but it also true. is 1800s. Well, it, it, true, but to me it's strange that there are, I don't see any names associated with any of these, yeah. you know, except for the two guys whose stories are so crazy they don't even make sense. Yeah. Um, so, and then as you might guess, because she's probably been wrongly, convicted and executed um so first of all there's a story and i guess a lot of tour guides at least used to tell it they've probably corrected it now people used to say that she was buried in the unitarian church graveyard but we know that that's not the case because most of the time people who were convicted of crimes were not allowed a church burial so she was buried actually in a potter's field next to the jail and according to many sources her ghost has been seen many times around Charleston, which, given her attitude, I like to think of Lavinia as a ghost, just yeah. messing with people and, you know, taking her revenge. Here's the thing that I found most interesting about this case. So, like I said, when I was reading it at the time, I just kept going, this is just bonkers. Like, nothing about this, may even if it's, eight, even though it's 1819, and you think, okay, records can be destroyed, and things can happen it just sounds way more like an urban legend yes. than an actual occurrence so a few years ago or might have even been just a couple years ago a former homicide investigator named bruce Orr did some research and he wrote a book called six miles to charleston the true story of john and lavinia fisher he strongly believes that they were in fact innocent. Yeah. Um, interesting little tidbit that I didn't mention at the beginning that I saved for this point okay. is shock factor. Yes. <laughs> Where the six mile Wayfarer house used to stand, or at least on some of the property, 
you will now find the Charleston Naval Hospital. At the time that this was happening, the government was trying to build a naval base. And Bruce Orr is fairly convinced that the Fishers and William Hayward, their partner in owning this hotel, were very likely framed and set up so that the local government could claim their land and build this naval base. I love conspiracies. I do too. So that is the story of Lavinia Fisher. Probably not America's first female serial killer. I love conspiracies. That I just do too. I feel like that made the whole story so much better. But well, I needed that kind of closure because yeah. like I said, I you know, I looked at a couple of sources online. A lot of these are tied to different tour guide sites and legends. And of course, the ghost legend is a huge part of this as well. So there was a lot of that kind of information. But like I said, just reading the John Peoples account and the the John Ross account, those two things just don't make sense. No. They just sound so bizarre and crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you know how difficult it would be to build secret passages that you could drop beds through and men to their death in your basement. And then and you have to think knows. about trying to get the bed back up to exactly. the room. Exactly. And how do you hide? I mean, that many bodies and yeah, yeah that, like I said, I'm with Bruce Orr. I think he's a genius and I thank him for giving me closure on this case. That, yeah. That was not what I expected it to be, <laughs> which is good. I, I enjoy a good surprise, but all right. Hmm. So join us next week. For... Nah, not next no? week. Thursday. Thursday. Sorry. Silly Thursday. goose. For South Carolina, the sequel. Yes. Part D. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye.